listener production. Dinesh Palapana works as a doctor in one of Australia's busiest hospital emergency rooms on the Gold Coast. In his spare time, not that he has much, he is writing a book about his life that will be released in the new year. If that wasn't impressive enough, Dinesh has had to learn how to do the immensely physical work of medicine with a spinal cord injury. Since becoming a quadriplegic in 2010, Dinesh and his colleagues have found workarounds for the complex demands of his job. This is despite some people in the medical profession insisting that you simply couldn't have a doctor using a wheelchair working in emergency medicine. Dinesh has proved them wrong. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next is The Weekend List where Linda Mariano from Brooke and Linda's Dream Club joins me to recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with my extraordinary friend, Dinesh Palapana. Dinesh Palapana, also known as Australia's most handsome doctor, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Jamila Rizvi, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'll grab my um, 20 bucks later for that introduction. (laughs) I do so appreciate you being with me. Now, you and I are mates, but I'm going to pretend I know less about you than I do because I really want the audience of The Briefing to get to know you today. You are a medical doctor, but you didn't grow up wanting to be a doctor, did you? No, you know what? I uh, grew up wanting to be a bunch of different things. I uh, played guitar for a while. I wanted to be a musician when I was in high school. I played basketball. I wanted to fly planes. I did all this stuff. I had a little IT business when I was like 16. You were an entrepreneur. Well, it's thanks to my mom. So my mom is the uh, force behind all these things. So a bunch of different things. And when I finished high school, I studied law, but I was studying law and I went through depression, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was out of that experience that I discovered medicine. So let me start by asking a little bit about that experience of depression at law school, because depression looks and feels different for different people. How did it manifest for you? Yeah, depression definitely looks and feels different for people. And You know, the thing I often find amazing is that there are people that we see and they have their outside face, but you never know what's going on inside. Mm. For me, it was quite an insidious thing because those days, I was probably 20, 21, and I had no insight into what depression even was. Like I didn't understand it. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how many people went through it. And this was still the early 2000s, which... I guess it was a time when we didn't talk about depression as much. I think we've come a long way, particularly in the last 10 years. Yeah. For me, because of all that, it was a really insidious thing and it just crept up. I was just uh, feeling flat initially for a period of time and then I started to feel low. And I think just feeling sad all the time. Eddie Jack, who wrote the book, The Happiest Man on Earth, And he was amazing, but I want to contest Eddie for that title because today I feel like the happiest man on earth, but happiness was so far away back then and it was a foreign concept really. And I felt low and then it just kept escalating and escalating. And 
I still didn't have any idea that I was depressed. I still didn't have any idea that I was going through something. And then I got anxious all the time. I started getting panic attacks and eventually I got agoraphobia where I was too afraid to go outside the house. I remember the day that I realized that I have come out of it. I drove out of my garage one day and I could just smell nature and I could feel it. I could feel the sun. I think that disconnect is so profound when you're going through something like that. What made you enroll in medicine? Depression has a whole heap of biological components and physiological components, which you can address. But I also think when you're going through something like that, when you're going through a challenge in life, it's a turning point or it's a sign that maybe you have to rethink the way you're living life or maybe you have to rethink what you're doing with life. And how many people do we see that are in unhappy jobs, unhappy relationships, and they just keep going and going and going? And I think I was like that too. I was just doing a lot of things that were supposed to make me happy but didn't. And so I really started to think about what I wanted to do with life And as I came out of depression, you know, I mentioned that I couldn't see the colors and I wasn't connected with the world. But when I came out of it, my world changed. I felt connected again. I felt I was living in a new universe. I thought, what if I could do that for someone? What if I could play a role? And it's not big things that you have to do for people, you know, like for me in my six years as a doctor now, none of the greatest moments have been about the medical stuff. It's been about those momentary connections that you make with people. It's about holding that grandma's hand while she was scared or telling the mom that her kid will be okay or uh, bringing a cup of tea to someone or talking to a person who's homeless. Those things are the most special things. So that's what really drew me into medicine and I love it so much. You can tell it is written all over your face as you say that, as well as uh, you can hear it in the musicality of your voice too. Can you take me back to when you were still training to be a doctor, you were at medical school, and tell me about the night of the 31st of January 2010? Yeah, I I think I counted uh, how many days it was yesterday. I think it's 4,100 and something days, I think today and you never forget the day and the time when something like that happens to you i was driving along the highway and you know one of the other things i think about often is serendipity because how many things have to line up for someone to end up in a certain spot at a certain time in a certain environment like If you think about the trajectory of the universe over billions of years and the tiny pieces that we are getting thrown around the space, for me to end up in that stretch of highway where there was something on the road, we think, it was oil or something, and then for me to be in that lane at that time where no other cars had hit it, but for me to be there, hit it, lose control, and then have a spinal cord injury. I just think you've got to think that there's a bigger picture there. But that's what happened. And I hit that little thing on the road, 
my car lost control. I had a rollover. My car actually flipped nose to tail somehow. Wow. When it landed, I couldn't move and I couldn't feel anything below my chest. I couldn't feel my fingers and I couldn't move my fingers either. And I knew that my life had changed forever in those few seconds. So you had a level of consciousness of what was happening to you at the time? Yeah, you know what? I was awake the whole time. Wow. So I was awake the whole time. So I work in the emergency department at the moment and sometimes we have these mindfulness moments where we take a pause and become reconnected and uh, become mindful. I like to call the car accident my most ultimate mindfulness moment because there was a moment when I was hanging upside down in the car as it was flying through the air, flipping over and over. And I decided that there's nothing more I could do about this. This is out of my control. It's out of my hands. What's going to happen is happen. I'm either going to die or get injured or whatever. I just decided to have fun. And so I thought of it as a roller coaster. And for the last few moments of the accident, I was just yelling out and hollering like I was in a roller coaster, having fun. I hate roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> I love roller coasters. So what happens then? How long does it take for the ambulance to get you? What are you thinking and doing in the ambulance on the way to the hospital? A fire truck got there first. Okay. They also hit whatever I hit. They lose control as well. Fortunately, they didn't crash. So I met these firemen a couple of years ago. So it was amazing to reconnect and talk about that night. Yeah. But then the ambulance came. They cut me out of the car, put me in the ambulance. I'm on the way to the hospital now. In fact, this is uh, a bit of a moment because I'm sitting right now in the very hospital that I was brought to that night, which is pretty weird. So it's a timely conversation. And here's another thing about medicine that I learned in the ambulance. By this point, I was freaking out. You know, I was thinking about life, how much it had changed. I didn't know what life was like for someone with a spinal cord injury. I didn't know what it's like to live with paralysis. I started to get a very quick lesson into it because I couldn't move anymore at my own power. So I was freaking out. I look up in the ambulance and I see a familiar face. And the guy that was in the ambulance was an emergency doctor who had taught me in medical school. Oh, wow. He just happened to be there that night and he just happened to be in the ambulance and he happened to come to the accident site. I was really impressed by him when he lectured us because I thought, man, this, this dude does some really cool things. What I learned that night, and I often tell this story, I'm talking to you today and it's so many thousand days later, but I'm telling you the story about him. And I don't remember any of the medical things that he did for me. I don't remember what drugs he gave. I don't remember what he did medically, but I remember how he made me feel. Hmm. And I remember the words he said to me, saying that it would be okay and that I was safe. So people may not often remember what you do for them, 
they'll always remember how you make them feel. And I think all of us in society, especially in these tough times, we have the opportunity to make an impact like that on a person and that's a powerful thing. There are so many doctors in my life and you and I share the experience of having been really gravely unwell where I've had exactly that experience, right, where there is what was probably an offhand comment or just something kind that slipped out that I have held on to because it has been the positive thing that's kept me focused and positive and often it is as simple as we've got you or you're going to be okay or we're very good at this. (laughs) Those little reminders that even though a day is extraordinary for you as the patient, it is quite ordinary for the doctor. But you, of course, know both sides of this equation. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about recovery and what that looks like and how long it takes. I had no idea what life was like for a person with a spinal cord injury. I used to see people in wheelchairs and I thought, you know, it must be pretty tough not being able to walk. But I didn't think about, wait, how hard is it not being able to use your fingers? Mm. One of the things I really wanted to do uh, when I was laying in the hospital bed was to scratch myself. And the inability to scratch yourself adequately was torture. Yeah. So uh, when my mom came to visit me, I'd just get her to scratch my head for ages. <laughs> Within that too, there's a lot of invisible physical things. Like I, my lung function is about 35% of what's expected for mm. someone, my characteristics. I can't control my body temperature anymore. So when it gets cold, I'm like a lizard. And uh, my blood pressure drops every now and again. So all the physical stuff. And then there's the social stuff. So my mom and dad split. We lost our home. We lost any savings, anything we had. I lost everything. So to come back from the physical things, learn how to sit again without fainting and learning how to talk a full sentence again, getting around on a wheelchair and then learning how to get around the community, learning how to figuring out where to live and all those things and to have a social life. I'll admit, I'm a pretty vain guy. I look in the mirror often. (laughs) But uh, it took me a long time to look in the mirror again because you're suddenly such a different person. You're not standing up, you're in a wheelchair and I just couldn't look at myself. Took me about a year or two to be able to look at myself again. So the journey for me to come back to medical school, which is a dream I never lost, took about four years to sort all those things and to build up the courage to do that. How do you do your job with the difference in physical ability to your colleagues? Because... Being a doctor is really physical, particularly being an emergency room doctor. That's a great question. Um, It's a question that I asked myself for (laughs) ages. When I was thinking about coming out, I thought, how the hell am I going to do this? But I want to do it. I sat in a room at the medical school with a mock patient and a doctor. 
and I just fiddled around for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I learned how to hold a stethoscope. I learned how to examine a patient. I even learned how to put a cannula in with a bit of assistance. So with a bit of troubleshooting and a bit of uh, lateral thinking, I figured out how to do so many things. So today when I see a patient, I can examine them. I can do all the things I need to do. I mean, unless it requires a complex procedure of some sort, but there are plenty of people in our emergency department that jump to do those things. But for the majority of patients, and that would be, I would say 70 to 80% of the patients that come through the door, they don't need procedures. And I think the most important thing that we need is a brain, which as far as I know, mine's okay. When you finished medical school, when you graduated, your classmates were all offered jobs and you weren't. Can you tell me what that was like when you had got through medical school under untold pressure that I imagine most of your classmates didn't have and that you had found all of these ways to make medicine work for you and make the job work for you, not to have that recognised? It was so frustrating because, you know, the thing is too, I graduated with awards. I graduated with good grades. But doctors, when they graduate, they're actually guaranteed jobs. Like they train as many domestic students as there are positions. So you're guaranteed. And I had a scholarship, which also meant that I was locked into work for them. But none of that mattered. And uh, they said, well, you know, you got a spinal cord injury, so uh, we're going to take your application out of the pool. And it became a massive struggle for months and months and months to work through this process. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was annoyed because I proved myself that I could do the job. And I had letters from the doctors that supervised me when I was a medical student. None of that mattered. So it was an incredibly frustrating experience. But I was very lucky to have the community, to have my colleagues. I often tell people too that one of the greatest checks and balances that we have in our society is a free media because the media told the story as well. And I think that failing everything else is one of the most powerful tools to hold people accountable. I also had some incredible heroes in my life and there were doctors that even offered to give up their salary so I could be employed. They said, take the money off the table. And that's so cool, isn't it? So cool that people would go to fight for you. And eventually they just caved and gave me a job at the 11th hour. Far out. What a fight. What an absolutely massive fight. I know that you're writing a book at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit about what that process has been like for you and also who you're writing it for? Who do you want to read it? Well, a bunch of my friends around me have said for years, just write a book, just write a book, just write a book. And talking about serendipity, I uh, went to a conference in San Francisco in 2018 where I met this guy called Jeremy Howick. He's a doctor, but he's also an author as well. And so he kept prodding me for a while to write a book and he gave me some advice on how to structure things and how to go about it. And then this amazing person called Jamila Rusby came into my life once and uh, she uh, helped me kick on the process and here we are. 
Here we are. We're, you're on structural edits as we record We're on this. Structural edits, and the book is hopefully going to come out next year in August. The reason I wrote it is because if it can give someone strength, just one person, when they need it, then I think my job will be done with the book. That's all I want from it. You said when we spoke earlier that you consider yourself one of the happiest men on earth. You've been through enough in your life that you would be well entitled to be one of the angriest. Do you ever feel angry? No, never, which is weird, right? I mean, I feel angry at other things like yeah. why is there no chocolate in the house? Or Well, that's awful. That's, that's terrible. So there are things like that, but no, not, not at life. I mean, how good is life? Just think about what we're doing right now. Like we're having this conversation and you're awesome and we live in Australia. There are billions of people around the world who don't get to enjoy the life that we do, who has to struggle every single day. We don't know where their next meal will come from. There's modern slavery, uh, there's starvation, there's all sorts of stuff. But you and I get to sit in this awesome country and we get to have a pretty good life. I went back to Sri Lanka as well after I had the injury and I saw how people with spinal cord injury live there or don't survive or have the hardest lives. So how can I be angry at life when there are all those people that don't have what I do and how can I not be the happiest man on earth? Dinesh, there are so many reasons that I love having conversations of you, but I think chief amongst them is the reminder that both you and I in many other times or places in history simply wouldn't be alive anymore. And I am so glad that we both are and that we got to have this conversation. Thank you for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Oh, thank you for being my friend, Jamila. That's it for my conversation with Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Keep your eyes peeled because his book will be out in the new year and I'm sure it will be available in all good bookstores and online. Don't go away though because The Weekend List is coming right up. Welcome to The Weekend List and welcome to Brooke and Linda. From Brooke Yay! and Linda's Dream Club, we have doubled the fun. I'm so pumped. We're all in the same virtual room. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Jem. How are you? I am good. I am eyeing the holidays. I can see it on the mm. near horizon now and I'm just trying to get there. But I feel like my eyes have gone kind of blurry. Like mm. I'm so close and it's so exciting mm. that I can't even see anymore. I'm that tired. How are you both going? Just close your eyes and roll down that hill, Jam. <laughs> Follow your nose. The smell of it is on the breeze. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I don't have a sense of smell, so we might have to change that. Can you see the breeze? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but what I can see are your two beautiful faces and I can sense that there are some amazing recommendations coming. Brooke, why don't you kick us off? Well, I thought I would give you a little bit of a holiday read, seeing as how a lot of people would be signing off soon. And I've just started this one, so I'm not finished it yet, but I love it so far. Okay, it's been a journey because I started out thinking like, what the heck is this? And then I got 
maybe 100 pages in and I was like, I, I'm hooked. This is such a wonderful way to read. It's called No One Is Talking About This. It's a debut novel by American poet Patricia Lockwood. And so it was published this year. It was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. It's sort of written like a stream of consciousness. And at first I found it really difficult to read and it felt like a little bit chaotic. But the more that I read it, the more it just sort of felt like scrolling and it felt really natural. And I love the way that she talks about things, but it sort of jumps from thing to thing. So if you have a really short-term memory, maybe it's not the best for you because you sort of like have to piece it together as you go along, like in terms of the themes and, and what she's thinking about and what she's talking about. But otherwise it's just like a series of poems or a series of passages. And so sometimes they're like text message exchanges, sometimes they're interactions that she has with her husband. I've just started it. It's a really interesting and weird way to read and to write a novel, but I'm digging it. I also love the danger of recommending something you haven't finished yet. Because there's this <laughs> no, like, what if the listeners the come, come back to us and are like, that Brooke, she steered me wrong. <laughs> or imagine if we get to the end and there's like really racist themes or really sexist themes. And they're like, I oh, Brooke Boney, love this It's book. all right, we'll pull this episode. Yeah, but I'll have it. it from the internet. I'm going re- to screen record it <laughs> when I listen to it. It feels like one of those books that needs to have the map at the front of it that you need to keep referring back to the family tree. <laughs> Who's that guy? And where where does this person come into it? We need like the whiteboard guy with yeah. the, like the, you know, the Always Sunny in Philadelphia Yeah, guy. that's what you need. Yeah. I used to watch Game of Thrones with the physical map in front of me so I knew who was who. But <laughs> that's not what I'm recommending today. I am going heavy on the TV today, folks, because the Sex in the City reboot oh. has aired. I know. Stay off your pelvis. So much tone, so much tone in the responses. Uh, It is called Just Like That and you can watch it on Binge here in Australia. They have dropped two episodes at the time that we are recording this. You'll probably have a third in your ears by the time that you are listening. Look, I'm going to say I hated 80% of it and I (gasps) liked 20%, but I am so intertwined with those characters and that universe that it doesn't matter that I hated 80%. I am still going to keep watching because I need to know what happens to them. I'm going to do this carefully with no spoilers. We meet the women a good 10, 15 years after we last said goodbye to them uh, if we ignore the two terrible intervening films that were made about the Sex and the City characters. Yeah, let's just scratch those from our memory. Scratch those. Don't (laughs) pretend they didn't happen. And the thing I loved about it and I'm going to focus on my 20% which was the love was I loved being back in that universe and most of all I loved seeing women in their 50s and 60s on screen who weren't side characters who Mm. were the main event and that is so unusual in kind of pop culture tv series that I found it really refreshing and they were women who, yeah, had done things to their faces or not done things to their faces, who were talking about having teenage children or even older, who were talking about menopause, who were talking about the death of people they loved, who were talking about the realities of ageing and still having fun and still having a good time. Mm. And I am someone who is hungry for older role models, particularly as a disabled woman who feels like I live in the body of an older woman. It was just really nice to see. And I enjoyed that. The rest of the 80% I'm not going to get into because I didn't enjoy that at all. The future is unwritten because we're all at different stages of life. Tonight, bring your A-game. 
How many dating apps are you on? I'm just waiting for someone to create a dating site that's called Here's the Man You've Been Searching for, Seema. I can't believe you even managed to find 20% because I also watched those two episodes. <laughs> it's um, interesting. It is. It was an interesting mm. watch, but maybe I I also feel very invested in the outfits and very invested in the universe as well to keep going with it. I am so invested in the universe. I, like all of us, watched it every like, Thursday yeah. night at 8.30 or 9.30 or whenever it was. It was a 9.30. Yeah, I used to stay up with my mum yeah. and watch it. So I have, like, these really fond memories of Sex and the City and, like, I have a bit of trepidation about watching the new ones, because of the movies, I guess, and because I just don't want that universe to be... Shattered. Shattered. I'd rather yeah. just, like, sort of think of it as it is in my memory, which is very fond. There's a mixed recommendation if you've ever heard one. Linda, have you got something? <laughs> I know. I'm really something sorry. To, I have just, you got something I you could wholeheartedly it. endorse? I can wholeheartedly endorse uh, an album. Now, I was going through, you know, it's the end of the year. I'm kind of looking back and, God, it's been such a long year. I'm looking at stuff that came out in January and April and going, oh, my God, that was all in the space of 2020. Now, there's a guy from London, a producer. His name is Fred again, and he put out not one but two records this year, both of them called Actual Life. Fred again. 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 <laughs> he did it. It's actually Fred in parentheses again. Okay. So I can wholeheartedly recommend both of these records. They're not albums that are going to hit the big hit list of, you know, this is the hit of blah, blah, blah of 2021. It's not your Olivia Rodrigo sour moment. But what it is is a snapshot of really what the pandemic has felt like coming from a dance music perspective and also with the fact that he was mourning the loss of a friend that passed away. So that was what the whole first album was. And what the album rests on is this foundation of joyous dance, club music, house music, mixed in with samples of his friends and his family propping him up. It's this beautiful kind of vocal samples sitting on top of house music. It's on a really immersive listen and it's just this really optimistic yet pained view of what this last year has felt like. It's a huge recommendation for me. Dance around in your living room, listen to it, put it in your headphones and walk around your city that you're living in and it's a really beautiful moment in dance music that I think is really time-stamping the year. completely sold me on that and I'm so glad that I've got a fulsome recommendation to take me into the new year. I have one to match it, Linda, after Brooke <laughs> and I started on shaky territory if I've read half the book and I don't know about this show, but I've got one that I can wholeheartedly endorse again and that is the third season of Succession, which has mm. just wrapped up. I have recommended Succession in the past on this podcast, but I don't care. I am going again. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is, of mm-hmm. course, an HBO series that focuses on a very rich media mogul family. It is very reminiscent of some real life media mogul families, <laughs> though it takes a lot of creative license. It is essentially like watching a high stakes chess game play out on TV, but it's also at its core a dark 
comedy. Like it's actually really funny. And whenever mm. I've recommended it to friends who haven't jumped on the train early, they've been shocked by how much humour is in this show because it does sound like it's a high stakes drama alone. The season ends, and I'm not going to spoil this here, but it ends with perhaps the most eventful wedding I have seen on television since the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. <laughs> it is intense and I was completely bamboozled by the plot changes and it features actress Sarah Snook who is of course Australian and an absolute superstar along with a cast of really, really great characters and actors. Hey Jam, can I ask you, do you reckon that you enjoyed it more because of your background in politics? Because I did, I think, like, I enjoyed sort of guessing which way I think that people would go based on, like, the way that things have played out in Parliament or what strategy they would take. Perhaps. I definitely enjoy looking at that kind of connivingness, I suppose, is that a word, in the in the plot. But for me, the most interesting part of this drama is the family element. The best part of succession is the relationships between this very powerful ageing father and four children who just desperately want to please him. And that's at the core of what drives each of those characters to do insane and cruel and horrible things, which is quite joyous and very King Lear, really. Well, I'm at the very start of the series because Brooke did get me on the bandwagon, but only about a month ago. So I'm still sitting back in season one. So I very much look forward to smashing the rest of it over the holidays. You have a lot of joy to look forward to. And I hope both of you have a lot of joy over the holiday period. Stay safe, look after yourselves. I hope you have a wonderful break. It's so well deserved. Thank you so much, Jam. You too. I hope you get lots of cuddles from your beautiful boys. It sounds like at the end of a year like this, it's exactly what we all need. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You have just been hearing from both special treat Brooke and Linda from Brooke and Linda's Dream Club which is an award winning podcast by listener (gasps) congratulations again thanks thank you you can subscribe to listen to these two wonderful girls and also the rest of the briefing team in the listener app now or wherever you get your podcasts while you're there leave us a rating and a review because it will make our year and help other people find the podcasts the briefing will be back in your ears on Monday the 10th of January that's right we're having a little break as well with the latest headlines straight to your headphones. We'll see you then. Listener.